At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. This is the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast, Series 1, Episode 9, Fish Orders and Their Families. In this podcast, I will go into detail about scientific nomenclature of fresh and saltwater fish and how they relate to fly fishing. Nomenclature review again. We're going to start off with kingdom. This is kingdom animalia, phylum, chordata, specifically vertebrata. Class, eh, we're not going to talk about that much. Order. Mostly the subject of this podcast, which will focus on the relation to the D.C. metro area. Families, subject again of this podcast, will focus on relation to the D.C. metro area and places where I have fished and the fish I have fished for and the fish that you hopefully will encounter in your adventures, genus and species. Common families in order of appearance in evolutionary geologic time from the most primitive to most advanced. So I'm going to start off with primitive fish, go to the more advanced. Order names end in the term or word formes, F-O-R-M-E-S, which translates into shape. Family names end in I-D-A-E. Family and scientific common names will be discussed. I'll try and break down genus and species from the scientific and common names into Latin Greek roots where possible. Some of them don't make sense. Some of them I couldn't translate or couldn't remember the translation, so I will leave those out. I will give you some key identifying characteristics, distribution, location, common examples, and what you need to know about this fish as an angler. So Latin scientific Greek roots should describe the organism's physical characteristics, color, shape, other attributes of the organism, where they're found, be it freshwater, saltwater, the top of the water column, the bottom of the water column, or the first person to classify the organism. Let's now start with the fish orders. First off, we have Petromyzontiformes. Petromyzontidae are the lampreys. Petro translates to rock and myzo means suck. So basically they can stick to rocks with their mouth. Two examples, we're going to go with Lampetra aeptera, the least brook lamprey. These are the smaller of the two ones I'm going to cover. And the next one is Petromyzon marinus. Now you can guess from the second part of the species, the marinus, is the sea lamprey. These are bigger. Both of them are boneless. They have a circular rasping mouth. 
with a suction cup on it that they can stick to the side of fish and basically suck their blood. They're parasitic. And they wreak havoc in the Great Lakes on commercial fish. They were introduced accidentally into the Great Lakes in the ballast of large boats, where they now can go around and basically attach to fish that are commercially harvested. You often see them stuck to fresh fish from the Great Lakes if you're going to fish for steelhead, lake run, browns, or salmon in the fall. You'll see them, and those fish often have quarter-dollar-sized um, scars on them for where they've had lamprey stuck to them in the past. So these are the most primitive. They have no bones. As fish evolved from lampreys, they adapted to have bones. Next order are the semionotiformes. Example is the Lepisotetidae. If I pronounced that right. Those are your gar. Lepis means scale. Example, Lepisodius plastomus, the short-nosed gar, and Lepisodius osseus, the long-nosed gar. Osseus usually refers to bones, so this is going to be the scale-boned fish. Gar are primitive. They come up to breathe. If you remember from the last podcast, that is the open circulatory system. They have bony plate-like scales with a prolonged mouth with very sharp little teeth. Anglers use hookless flies made of rope to tangle on their teeth. Usually strip the fly in front of them and they will attack it. Next up are Amiformes. Amidae is the family I'll talk about and in that you find the bowfin, Latin name Amia calva, which translates to kind of a bald fish. Again, these are primitive, plate-like scales, and they have a distinctive plate under their mouth called the gular plate. That is a key defining characteristic. You can catch them in tidal sections of rivers in Virginia, most notably Rappahannock and James, and they're often confusing the anglers because they don't know what bowfins are, so they don't know what they are when they catch them. So Google image a bowfin, Latin name Amia calva, and you can find out what they are, and maybe if you catch one, you will now know what they are. Next up are your anguilliformes. The family is anguillidae. These are your eels. Our eel around here is anguilla rostrata, which means eel-like nose, the American eel. Elongate body, olive-colored, tiny pectoral fins, clear transparent larvae, which are known as leptocephalus larvae. These fish are migratory. They live their adult life in the ocean, and they spawn in fresh water. So they come up the Potomac River here, and they spawn and then go back out to the bay, to the ocean, after they're done spawning. Then you have ones that are residents. Some live entirely in fresh water. We have eels in Lake Audubon and Reston. And then there's some that live their entire life in the ocean. You can find historic eel walls and V-shaped weirs in the tidal sections of rivers. There are the V-shaped weirs in Fredericksburg. You can look from the Route 1 bridge down and see the V-shapes, and the Native Americans built them to catch the eels as they were migrating upstream. Eel walls were built, I think, mostly in New England, and eels basically find a dead end along this wall, and people could just scoop them up with nets. Eels are a favorite food of striped bass, so you know what type of flies to bring if you are targeting striped bass. Next up are your clupeiformes. Clupeidae are herring and shad. C-L-U-P-E, clup, means a river fish. Examples would be Dorosoma sapedianum, the gizzard shad, Alosa sapidissima, the American shad, Alosa mediocris, the hickory shad, 
Brevortia tyrannus, the Atlantic menhaden, and Alosa aestivalis, the blueback herring. These are all migratory fish. They are planktivorous, which means they're filter feeders and they will filter gallons and gallons of water a day in order to get the plankton out of that water. They're also a forage base for many large fish like stripers and bluefish. Flies for them, bunker patterns, puglacy patterns, big deceivers, menhaden flies. And these menhaden are also known as peanut bunker. They have that distinctive black dot on them, so a lot of the flies have a big black dot. Some of these can be the size of the palm of your hand up to 20 something inches for some of the big shad. They've got a great history in America. You can read The Founding Fish by John McPhee. He'll go into detail about how they've been used for fertilizer and fish oil. The populations in the Chesapeake Bay now are being extremely decimated because the Menhaden and other members of this family, the Pleiadae, are being scooped up for bone meal and for fish oil. Next up, we're going to have the Cyprinoformes. I'll do two families. The first of the two are the Cyprinidae. These are your minnows. Cyprin translates to a kind of carp. You commonly know them as bait fish. Examples would be stone rollers, dace, shiners, chubs, fallfish. They're pretty small fish, a couple inches to maybe under a foot. What several of your freshwater streamer patterns are made to look like, Mickey fins, ghosts, etc. These are the little fish that you see around your feet when you enter the streams. They dart around. Their life is basically in fear of being eaten, so they're very skittish. The next family of Cyprinoformes are the Catostomidae, or your suckers. Cato means downward and stoma means mouth, so you can translate that to downward facing mouth. They have a ventral mouth, which means they feed on the bottom of the water. Examples, Catostomus comersoni, that is your white sucker. Ermizon oblongus is your creek chub sucker, and Hypentelium nigricans is your northern hog sucker. A common fly used for steelhead and brown trout in the fall is going to be sucker spawn. It's a fly made to represent sucker eggs. Often caught when fishing for trout since they're bottom feeders. If you're nymphing along the bottom and there's fish down there, you're often going to catch one of these. They often swim around in little schools of five or six that kind of look like nurse sharks on the bottom with kind of that bottom ventral mouth and their pectoral fins out to the side. Their bellies are flat because they swim and live on the bottom. Next order are the Siluriformes. Silure means a type of fish. Could be from the Silurian era. Ictaluridae is the family I'm going to talk about now. Those are your catfish. These are extremely diverse. The catfish family is huge. These fish can grow to great sizes, as you've seen in all the new TV shows. Hooked, monster fish, river monsters. These fish can get very big. Some are parasitic. Some are electric. Some are small. Some, I said, are huge. They live in fresh and salt water. Some of the common ones to where I live now are Amarius natalis, the yellow bullhead, distinctive by four barbells on its mouth. Amarius nebulosus, the brown bullhead, has eight brown-tipped barbells. Ictalurus punctatus, the channel catfish, has a forked tail. Notorus gyrinus, the tadpole mad tom, distinct lateral line, small catfish. And the Notorus insignis, the margin mad tom, has an overbite in black fin tips. I often catch a lot of these channel cats on the bottom using nymphs and clouds or minnows in the Potomac and the Rappahannock. Don't really catch them too often in lakes. 
They're going to usually live on the bottom with those sensory barbells so they can detect food. Matoms um, basically look like full-grown catfish, but they're like four inches long. Great pattern for smallmouth bass. You can tie up just a big-looking minnow that's black, kind of skip it around, dart it on the bottom, make it look like that mad tom, and you should catch some pretty big smallmouth bass. And I mentioned some are parasitic. That includes the one that can go up the male urethra and get stuck in the bladder. There's all the stories about it. It can be um, true, false. There's all those different TV shows on Animal Planet, National Geographic. They all contradict each other, but you can look up the Kanduru catfish. Next family I will cover, um, Isakidae and Salmonidae. These are in the order Salmoniformes. I'll talk briefly about Isakidae and go into detail about Salmonidae. Salmoniformes. Let's go with Isakidae, pickerel, pike, and musky. Examples, Isak niger. The chain pickerel has a long snout with the line under the eye, so it's vertical. As opposed to Isax americanus, the redfin pickerel has a short snout and the line goes behind the eye. Torpedo-shaped ambush predators, they're very aggressive. They'll outcompete natives if introduced. There are some lakes out in California where pike have been introduced. They've basically eaten all the other fish out of there. They can grow to a large size in northern climes. You see on the Canadian fishing shows, they're going for northerns, and they're catching huge fish. You catch them down in Virginia, I've only seen them 8, 9 inches in the creek I lived on in Fredericksburg. I don't see them too often in any of the rivers around here. Um, they're there, just don't really see them caught. Very sharp teeth. Your special terminal tackle should be wire or heavy mono, so they won't bite through it. And your flies should have durable material such as bunny fur, which also undulates in the water, so they really go after that. And something with an epoxy head on it where those teeth are not going to destroy your fly. A variety of tube flies recently have been developed to increase the fly size because these are apex predators. They're on the top of the food chain and they want to eat big fish. So tube flies basically make a large fly with not a lot of weight because it's tied on a tube, which is mostly weightless, as opposed to a hook. Salmoniformes. Salmonidae is the family. These are your salmonids. I'm going to talk about three genuses that fly fishing is based upon. Genus 1, Salmo. These are your trouts. Genus 2, Oncorhynchus. These are your trout and salmon. Genus 3, Salvalinus. These are your char. And if you want to go into detail, read Dr. Benke's books and Prosex Fly Fishing the 41st, specifically 41st Parallel. Genus 1, Salmo, your trouts. Salmo for salmon. Example, Salmo trutta, which translates to a salmon trout. This is your brown trout. Brownish coloration. Some are silvery and brown. Some are golden and brown. Some have blue spots. Some have red spots. Usually depends on where they live and what they eat. European origins, they've been stocked all over the world. They're nocturnal feeders, so if you want to catch the big ones, you go out at night. And some migrate to the ocean. Those are known as your sea-run brown trout. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.
Salmosalmon.com. The next example is Salmo solar, your Atlantic salmon. It means jumper or leaper. These are called salmon as they're classified as salmon, but they can be confused with Pacific salmon on menus because they go up streams to migrate. They migrate from freshwater from the sea and then back again without dying. They do not die in the migratory process like salmon. They're found in Northern Atlantic Ocean, one of the oldest targeted fly fishing species. They're fished on rivers where the pools have names, usually with fishing lodges that date back to you know, last century. Some are private, can be very expensive, but they say when you hook into one, it's like nothing else based on that jumper or leaper. It's on my list of fish to catch. Genus two is Oncorhynchus, trout and salmon. Oncorhynchus means hooked snout. So when these fish get to a certain age, they get that kiped jaw. Now brown trout get kiped jaw too, but they're just classified differently. Example one, Oncorhynchus micus, your rainbow trout. Oncorhynchus agubonita, the golden trout. Agua bonita, pretty water. Oncorhynchus clarki, the cutthroat. Oncorhynchus shawitska, the chinook salmon. Oncorhynchus kita, the chum or dog salmon. Oncorhynchus kisuch, the coho salmon. Oncorhynchus gorbusha, the pink salmon. Oncorhynchus nurka, the sockeye or kokini salmon. Kokini is the landlocked version. And hucho taman, the taman. I'm going to go into detail about some of their migration and what makes them such a cool fish. So, Genus Oncorhynchus continued. Extremely famous migration. I'm going to focus on Pacific salmon and I will go into a brief description. These fish are born in freshwater streams and they stay for a while. They migrate to open water where they feed until maturity. They return to their native streams to spawn. The theory is that they can smell their water where they were born and follow those molecules to the mouth of the stream and then up. Their body morphs to grow humps, hooked jaws, huge teeth, and they change color. Their digestive tract atrophies and digestion shuts down. They do not eat at this point. They rely on stored fat. They're going to swim upstream through any kind of obstacle they can find. There are pictures of chum salmon crossing roads during flooded streams that are next to roads. They're basically going to spawn and die. Their dead bodies feed all sorts of organisms as they break down. Birds, mammals, microorganisms, insects, all of them feed. This is the basic of the food chain. Their rotting corpses add nutrients to the stream, which provides plant life and insect life for their young to forage on. It's the circle of life, the whole food chain, in one unbelievable event. Salmonids are extremely threatened due to overfishing. A lot of the commercial salmon rivers on the West Coast have been shut down for commercial fishing due to population decline or fish just not showing up at all. Dam construction prevents fish from reaching their native rivers. Everything below the dam, also the water might be too warm. Because of the dam, the natural sedimentation is not being deposited and allowing for proper stream bottoms for fish to lay their eggs. Pollution is accounting for a lot. You've got the whole pebble mine proposed deal in Bristol Bay, Alaska. You should Google that if you don't know about the pebble mine. This is your first time. Start reading up on it. However, some salmon populations are increasing. Last year, the first major run of Atlantic salmon were reported in the Seine River in Paris. And the third genus, Salvalinus. 
These are your char, Savalinus fontanalis, the brook trout. That is the state fish of Virginia, although it's a commonwealth, not a state. Savalinus confluentus, the bull trout. Savalinus malma, the dolly varden. And Savalinus namayakush, the lake trout. Brilliant colors on them. Brook trout males in the fall are absolute gems. Bull trout have those orange spots on them. Dolly Varden have the colors of a sunset after like volcanoes when that ash interferes with the sunshine. And lake trout are speckled, black, white, brown. Haven't fished for dollies, haven't fished for lake trout. Caught plenty of brook trout and I've caught a handful of bull trout. Absolutely beautiful fish. Next order are the Percopsiformes. These are your perch. Family Ephriodoideridae. Ephriododeris sayanus is your pirate perch. Its anus is just behind and under its mouth. I included it here because it's funny, and that's how we remembered its name in Fish Lab. Say anus. The mouth is by the anus, because it says so. All right. Antheroniformes. Ather, beard of an ear of corn is what it translates to. Don't know how that even relates to this. Family, Pusilidae. Example, again, Brucia holbrookii, which is your eastern mosquito fish. Just like the name describes, they eat mosquitoes. These fish are used in retention ponds to prevent mosquito outbreaks. If you have water facilities where you're going to filter water in large ponds, well, mosquitoes are going to end up breeding in there. You put these fish in, they're going to eat those mosquito larvae. You also have Anthrinopsidae, which are your Menidia Menidia, the Atlantic Silverside. These are forage fish, Clouser Flies will represent them pretty well. Anything with a silvery lateral line down them. Next up are your scorpaniformes. Scorpion or scorpion. Fish with a poisonous sting. Cotidae is the family. A kind of fish. A horse. A cock. That's what it translates to. These are your sculpins. The one fish that gets the most attention as food for trout. Large trout. Trout that want a full meal and not a snack. Cotus bairdi is your mottled sculpin. These are bottom fish that have that distinctive big head and flat belly, wing-like pectoral fins. Flies for these are your matukos, your muddlers, wool and raghead sculpins. And now that I'm mentioning flies that used to catch these fish, I completely forgot to talk about flies used for salmon and trout and char. I'll have to come back to that some other time. Next up are your percopsiformes. Several sport fish fall into these families. Persynthiidae, white perch. Persidae, darters, walleye, yellow perch. Chanidae, your snakeheads. Centrarchidae, sunfishes, also known as bream, also known as shellcrackers, also called bluegill. Warm water fish that will get a lot of fly fishermen started. Moranidae, stripers. Scombardae, mackerels, and tuna. Carangidae, jacks, and permits. I think in the last podcast I called tuna scombrids, which is correct, but I think I called jack scombrids, which would be wrong. Isotophoridae, sailfish. Corfeneidae, dolphinfish. Sphyranidae, barracudas, and pomatomidae, the bluefish. So let's start with centrarchidae. You have flyers, speckled lateral line is distinct, and I'm not really going to use the Latin names for these because most people just call them sunfish, so... Banded sunfish have vertical banding. The red breast sunfish has an extended operculum with black spots, a little bit of red on its belly. 
Pumpkin seeds have brilliant black, blues, and oranges, kind of speckled. Your bluegill has vertical bands and spotted dorsal fins. You have your smallmouth bass and largemouth bass. So yes, bass are sunfish. So on my blog, on my Google Maps, what I'm talking about, this is a sunfish and bass lake or river. I am being redundant, but most people don't realize that they're in the same family, so I separate them as two distinct types of fish. You have rock bass, also known as red-eyed bass. They have that red eye. Usually find them above the Piedmont. Piedmont meaning foot of the mountain. So that's where the water's getting a little bit colder. So you find them at the base of mountain streams and up into the mountains. You have warmouth. Looks like a rock bass. The mouth is banded. You have the black crappie. Has more black than white. And you have the white crappie, which has more white than black. Next up is the family Moronidae. Example, Morone saxitalis, the striped bass. You can either read my paper about them, which I'll post on my podcast page about fish families, or I think I just might record it in my next podcast. These fish are migratory. They enter freshwater to spawn and feed on smaller migratory fish, then go back to saltwater. Commercial fishing has decimated the populations in a lot of places. There are moratoriums in the 80s, which allowed them to bounce back. But once you let something bounce back and start hunting them again, the population goes down. You have your scombrids, your mackerel and tunas, fast swimmers, and they travel great distances. Major spawning areas of the Gulf of Mexico and the Mediterranean Sea. Currently, the Gulf of Mexico is a mess with the oil spill, as that is one of the last great migration places for tunas. I have no idea what it's going to do to them, but it's probably going to be extremely detrimental. These fish are overfished in our lifetime. We will probably see them extinct, and they have those distinct finlets. Flies for these guys is going to be minnow patterns, bait fish, often chummed up. And again, I forgot the flies to tell you for all those sunfish. You're just going to have to go to my webpage and see what we use to catch them. A lot of poppers and damsel nymphs. Karangidae. Karang means a flat fish. These are your jacks, blue runners, and permits. They are flat laterally. They're strong fighters, especially for their size. Those jacks like to go in schools. They can also be solo. They can destroy your rods because they're extremely strong. Permit are known for their presence on the flats with their black tail sticking out when they are tailing, which is their nose rooting around in the mud and their tail breaching the water. And shrimp and crab patterns usually is what gets them. Isotophoridae is your sailfish and marlin. Istio or Istio is a membrane because that sail is a giant membrane of the dorsal fin. Sailfish have that distinctive large sail, and it's very brilliantly colored when they're alive in the water. And I think it's incredible when you can get underwater photography and someone's actually filming them with that dorsal fin up. It's pretty cool. Xyphidae. Xyph means sword. These are swordfish, that distinct sword-shaped bill for slashing prey. They swim into a school, slash it up, and then circle around and eat what they killed. This is going to be one of those fish that's heavy in mercury, as with the scombrids too. They are the top predators, so they have all that biomagnification, everything they ate. They absorb the thing that they ate has everything that it ate, and so on and so on. So biomagnification. It's the buildup of molecules and chemicals in the environment. Apex predator has all of those concentrated in its body. A lot of chefs have gone and banned these from their menus because swordfish are becoming more rare. 
you can read the perfect storm to learn about how people catch them commercially that is Coryphenidae are your helmet fish Cory means helmet these are dolphin fish or mahi mahi or dorado they have a big bump on their head brilliantly colored when alive usually found around flotsam or floating debris out in the ocean Spherinaidae, sphere means hammer, mallet, or ankle. These are barracudas. Apex predator, very sharp teeth. They're not right in the head. They will hit just about anything you throw at them. They'll destroy your lines. They destroy your flies, often accidentally caught when fishing for something else. They're like the equivalent of the freshwater sucker or whitefish. You accidentally catch them when going for trout. When you're going for bonefish and tarpon, you catch barracudas. People get mercury poisoning being... Um, these are the top predators, so they eat them, they get all the mercury from the water. And mercury poisoning was also known as the Mad Hatter's disease because mercury was used on pelts back in the day to soften them. So the Mad Hatter from Alice in Wonderland was crazy because he had mercury poisoning. I just mentioned in a blog today about Jeremy Piven having mercury poisoning. Pomatomidae. These are your bluefish. Pomo means lid, tom to cut. Pomatomus saltatrix is the Latin name for bluefish. They have oily meat. They're extremely aggressive. Apex predator. Often found schooling in and around with striped bass. Safety in numbers. They can hunt in packs. Destroy your flies and leaders. They have very sharp teeth. So use flies with tough coating like epoxy. Albuliformes. Albulus vulps is the bonefish. Albu means white and vulps means fox. This is your white fox. They have something called that leptocephalus larvae, which is the clear larvae that are virtually impossible to see, which makes them, I guess, you want to say camouflage from predators, but they just can't see them because they're clear. It's the elusive tropical fish of the shallow flats. They eat small crabs, shrimp, and bait fish. They're very skittish, so you have to have a stealthy approach. And most modern bone fishing techniques were developed in the Florida Keys, including the development of the flat skiff to fish for them. Next up are the Elopiformes. Elop means sea fish. We're going to go with Megalops atlanticus, the tarpon. They consume bait fish and shrimp, so that's what your fly should look like. Use heavy tackle. You need a specific um, shock tip at the end so they don't bust your leader with their weight and the abrasiveness of their mouth. The baby tarpon is considered under 40 pounds, and they also have the leptocephalus larvae. If you want to do something really cool when you're in the Keys, you can go down to Robbie's and hand feed the tarpon. There are also jacks there that are the size of trash can lids. Both fish will eat right out of your hands. Be careful with the tarpon because they will take the skin off your hand without a brace of mouth. There are more places to hand feed and feed tarpon in the Keys, but that's probably the most famous. That's uh, Isla Mirada. All right, I'm going to go back now and talk about the salmon. Um, flies for them. Saltwater, when they're out there feeding, bait fish patterns will work, but most people fish for them when they're running up the streams. Something flashy that they are going to be pissed off at. Um, you know what? I'm going to save this for a whole other podcast, so let's just forget about that. I think it'd be easier if I just did a whole podcast on what I've learned from fishing for salmon out west and on the Great Lakes in addition to steelhead and brown trout. So... I'm going to wrap up this podcast. Um, that's it for some fish families, representatives, distribution of where they are. I hope it wasn't too boring. Maybe it was something interesting. 
Um, I thank you for downloading the podcast if someone actually did download it. For those who did, please rate it on iTunes so I can know if it's total rubbish or if it's something you enjoy. And I think next I will read the Striped Bass paper to you. So let me go edit this, get it online, and um, I'll get the next, next podcast up and running. Thanks for uh, listening. If you have any questions, comments, email me, rob at robsnowwhite.com. And there's only one W in Snow White. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment. I'm Will Cooper, host of HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast. For even more content, be sure to watch the original films from HuntStand Presents on the Waypoint TV channel every Tuesday at 10 p.m. Eastern. Visit waypointtv.com to learn more.